Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Uh, hi there, Larry Emder and Kylie Gillies here with another instalment of the Morning Show podcast. Hello, Larry Emder here. <laughs> with Kylie Gillies. It has been a big week of celebrity interviews coming up. We got lost in translation with the world's most famous male model, Fabio. The fabulous Fabio. Uh, Hugh Sheridan talks romance and dance um, as he returns to the stage with a really unusual new show. Looks amazing, doesn't it? And we remember the late music industry titan Michael Gudinski with his official biographer. Now, also today, on the show, uh, it's uh, the show. <laughs> it's a show that the world has fallen in love with, Larry. Bridgerton, you've heard of that, right? It's uh, a massive just remind hit. me again, what's that about? <laughs> Bridgerton, massive hit. We catch up with the author who wrote the original books. Uh, she reveals what the Duke of Hastings is like in real life. Um, and Larry, we've also learned quite a bit this week too. Oh, Kylie, that's true. We've learned a lot this week, like the fact that 50% of people, 50% of people cry after sex. Did you know that, Kylie? I did not. It's a very interesting stat, isn't it? That's all you've got to say? <laughs> all right. Very I'll, interesting. All right, I'll move on. Oh. Uh, more on that a little later when Dr Darren Saunders joins us to share the fascinating science behind why we shed tears. Uh, but first, most of us remember Trini Woodall from the hit show What Not to Wear. And she's still helping women look and feel their best. I caught up with Trini, direct from the UK. Trini Woodall joins us live from London. Hello. I'd like to say live from London and be in some incredible backdrop and show you, you know, Buckingham Palace, actually not necessary for the Australians, maybe Regent Street and Oxford Street and the lights. But no, I'm in my little room that I've lived in for a year. Uh, you look like you're in your closet, which is fine, because this is where we find you most of the time, because you, you have this makeup range, Trini London. And Trini, it's just going from strength to strength. We know you originally from fashion, but in 2017 mm -hmm. you made this leap into beauty, which kind of sounds easy, but I'm guessing it's not. I think what's not is when you make a big um, career change and you might have been doing something that was a bit in the public eye before, there's a, there's a tag you'll be known for for ages. So people want to associate you for what you're most known for by the public. So that is a while, but internally that journey has been one where the reality behind the scenes is always very different. And I had been doing a lot of TV and then we stopped being the flavor of the month as it were. And we started doing TV out of England. We came to Australia, we did TV shows there, which I love. And then we did 16 other countries. And when I was around those countries, I met so many women who didn't know how to do their makeup. And it was the one thing that I really noticed first. And what I wanted the most when I launched in London is we would be a very ageless brand and, and mothers would give it to daughters and daughters to mothers because it felt easy for everyone. You know, that was my intention. And all those women, those 3000 women I made over, I, I, I got from that, I want something really easy in my life. But what we get from you, Trini, and this shines through is that you love women. You make women feel good about themselves. I do. <laughs> 
I do love women and and um I love to make women feel better Mm. you know I like to leave a woman and her to think I feel better about myself and since I was six and a half making over my friends at school so it's not a passion that's gone away or I've got tired of and it brings me joy tremendous joy and I hope it brings women joy we cannot have Trini on without asking about what not to wear. I can't believe 20 years ago, since it premiered on the BBC. 20 years ago? I yeah. really, yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you and Suzanne, you, ab- you absolutely revolutionised the you know, before and after. You, you guys were the first to do it. And I think it really struck a chord with millions and millions of viewers. Do, do you still have really fond memories of that? Totally. I mean, you know, because of that show, I traveled the world. I met so many women. I have so many stories inside my head of of meeting those women. My life is enriched by it. Um, It was at the time a very, you know, different show. So Susanna and I still, you know, we never would want to go back to it. And (laughs) occasionally people have asked us to. But Susanna is now, I speak to her about once a week. Susanna is now wild swimming around England. And it's just brilliant what she does she literally cracks some ice with an axe and she goes swimming she's turned into the eccentric 50 year old british woman in the best possible way and she's fearless trini i'm a longtime follower of you on instagram uh one particular standout your 2020 bloopers reel you do not shy away from sharing anything do you ever look back and go i can't believe i did that why did i do that Never. <laughs> Never. Because it's like what we will do. You know, we all kind of sit here and we're bored and we experiment and we put dog nappies on to do our eyelashes. And that's the thing about social media. Sometimes I can take two steps back and think, God, this is so gratuitous, you know. And then I'll just think, no, it's not. It's what we all, you know, we all do this. So I'll do it. And if it makes somebody laugh, that's the thing. Just finally, Trini, uh, you spoke online about your daughter wanting to move to New York to study yeah um are you ready for her to fly though i will be gutted when she flies (laughs) gutted because it's like you know this sort of thing of new york that's great and also we just you know we 10 percent of our business is america i want to grow it to 25 percent. so i will be there i might even rent a flat in new york you know i will be traveling there so therefore by the time she's in that position i'll probably be in america a lot more so that's the only reason that I'm feeling okay about it because I don't want to cramp her style in New York, but I want to know I'm there and it's a big city and she's been there every year of her life, but still, you know, I just, yeah. I got, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know this feeling. Any mother knows this feeling. It's like, yeah, we so want them to not have a messy room and get on with their life, but my God, we don't want them to go as well. Yeah, we'll have, oh, have yeah. the tissues ready. Uh, Trini, it's been a delight talking to you. Congratulations on everything that you are doing with the makeup line. And I think even bigger picture than that, empowering women and celebrating women and saying, hey, you know what? It's okay to be you. Thanks, Trini. It's great to be you. <laughs> Thank you, Kat. Well, with the COVID vaccine rollout now underway, the government is urging Australians to keep on top of their health data and link their Medicare and MyGov accounts. But with about 10 million people across the country still not opting to connect these services, what's the actual benefit of doing so? Should the process be mandatory? And what is being done to keep our data safe online? For more, we're joined by General Manager of Services Australia, Hank Jongen, live from Canberra. Great to see you again, Hank. Uh, there is a, there's a huge amount of people who haven't linked their accounts. I reckon I might be one of them. Um, what's the benefit of doing so? 
Well, look, if you haven't done it yet, now's the time to do it. It'll only take you a few minutes. We know that there are about 10 million people that have accounts that are linked to tax and Centrelink as well, and we want people to uh, connect, to link to Medicare now because that's where the record of your vaccination will be. Uh, the Australian Immunisation Register will be automatically updated once you get your vaccine and then it'll appear in your Medicare record. So we want you to take a few minutes and link up. Once you've linked and uh, you can get information on our website to follow a couple of steps. But once you've linked, there's two things I'd ask you to do. Firstly, just check that your contact information is up to date. And secondly, download the smartphone app for Medicare. Because once you download that smartphone app and you connect it to your account, um, it's very easy to find your immunisation history. And what it means is you will have proof of your vaccination right there in the palm of your hand. Hang some people, well not some people, a lot of people are worried about having all their health details stored online. What are Services Australia doing to make sure they're safe? Well, look, the protection and the security of the sensitive data that we hold is our number one priority. The Australian immunisation record has a long uh, proud history. In fact, it's been in place since 1996 and most parents would be familiar with it because of course that's where child immunisation records are kept and we're now expanding that to include the COVID virus vaccine. In terms of the protection of our data, um, we've done a lot of work to ensure that we have in place robust and conventional cyber security uh, uh, in place so you can feel assured that your records are safe. But look, we've got a long, proud history. Centrelink, uh, Child, Care, Child Support Agency and Medicare all hold sensitive information uh, and uh, the protection of that information is our number one priority. So just so we're clear, is it compulsory to link your accounts, your Medicare and your MyGov? No, it's not. Uh, it's not compulsory, but what we're saying is if further down the track you need to prove that you've received a vaccine, that information will be there and it'll be readily available and if you download the smartphone app, it'll be there in the palm of your hand. Okay, now there have been reports that not having the vaccine might impact Centrelink payments in the future. True or false? False. The, um, the um, coronavirus uh, vaccine is voluntary and the government's made that absolutely clear. However, what hasn't changed, of course, is the other immunisation requirements under the no jab, no pay rule. Uh, and um, uh, those requirements have not changed. So uh, your children need to still receive their vaccines in line with the scheduled uh, timing. Uh, and that's for two reasons. One, of course, it's for the health of your child. Uh, but secondly, it also means that if you fall behind in your vaccinations, it can have an effect on um, family tax benefit and, of course, uh, childcare subsidy. Hank, the second half of the coronavirus economic support payment is due this month. The window to apply for the bonus is closed, but for those eligible, when will they see that money into their accounts? Well, in fact, we're rolling it out as I speak. 
we're progressively paying the $250 uh, right through till the middle of March. Uh, as you can imagine, we can't do it all in one hit. It'll be rolled out in a similar way that the other three payments have done. We've paid out about $10 billion to about 7 million people so far. Uh, and the important thing is you don't need to do anything. You don't need to ring us. It'll be paid automatically. Okay, so at the end of this month, we're going to see a whole lot of changes to job seeker payments. Can you take us through what those changes will be? Yes, of course. Look, the government has previously announced that the coronavirus supplement will end uh, at the end of March. Uh, and what it's also announced is that uh, uh, it will be increasing job seeker payment by $50 a fortnight from that date. But it's important to understand this is still subject to passage of legislation. Um, from our perspective, once the Parliament passes the legislation, of course, we'll be required to implement it and, of course, we'll provide our customers with all the latest information. I think we've got a graphic here about exactly how much the payments are going to be compared to the old amount. Uh, there's a lot of concern maybe that even this new amount is not enough to live off, Hank. Uh, so what's your advice for those who are continuing to struggle? Well, look, um, the, the important thing to... Well, the first thing, of course, I have to say is that we don't make the rules. It's our job to put in place payments in line uh, with government policy or the laws as laid down by Parliament. But from our perspective, the really important thing to remember is that we are here to provide health support and advice. Um, we are one of the larger employers of social workers in the country. If you're fa finding yourself in a situation um, where you need some additional support or advice, then talk to us. Um, we can always link you in with other organisations that provide support, community organisations, state government organisations, and uh, uh, provide that sort of support. And the other important message I have, of course, is avoid incurring a debt with us because that will only cause you problems down the track. Mm. So, Keep again, my message is yeah. provide us with accurate information yeah. about your situation. Keep your information up to date. Hank, uh, thank you so much for shedding light on all those issues for us this morning. A real pleasure. Thank you. Well, Kylie... Buddy, old pal, mate, there's no better way to kickstart your morning than having a blonde-haired Greek godlike man live in your living room. Am I right? You're not wrong. So I'm right? Yeah, so you're right. You're right. Uh, so you know, I, I can never tell you you're right, though. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So I decided to give this guy a call. Hello, Fabio. Ali, Larry, how you doing, guys? We Thank are, you for having me. We are great. Uh, we're talking the hair, the good looks, one of the most famous faces on the planet. Can you go anywhere, anywhere at all, without being recognised by fans? It's part of the business, you know, but, uh, you know, listen, I'm, ve I'm very blessed, and I thank God every day for that. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm a people person, so, you know, I don't mind when people come out to me and uh, ask me for autographs and stuff like that, because, you know, it's like a... People in our industry, uh, we've been very blessed, very fortunate, you know? Okay. Now, we, we understand you're single, is that right? Yeah, actually I'm, actually, I'm coming to Australia because, you know, Australia is very well known for 
you know, the most deadly snake, but also the most beautiful women in the world. <laughs> yeah, they can so, be the same, one in the same sometimes. So what, what are you going to do? <laughs> You've taken a special liking to Australian women over the years. When, when are we going to see well, you I'm back down? I'm definitely going to come to Australia and look for a wife. That's for sure. It's not. Australian women, they're the best. Period. Wow. Okay, well, wow. we'll take that. We'll, we'll take your compliments. Everybody, everybody in the world knows they're down to earth. They're beautiful, you know. They're very domesticated. I mean, you know, it's like, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a dream come true for, for a man. Fabio, what do you mean we're domesticated? What is What's that? that? What, what do you mean by we're domesticated? That, that, you're, you're very, you're, you're real women. Okay. <laughs> you're, really, okay. you're a real woman. Okay. But you don't expect us to be sort of in the kitchen with the apron on or something. That's not what you mean by domesticated, is it? No, no, absolutely. It's like you know how to take care of a man. We know how to take, take, care. take care of a man. Right, take of care. a man. You yeah. really know how to take care of a man. Yeah, you know? okay. Um, why don't I just jump in here and ask a question? <laughs> how, how does the sexiest man alive date? Are, are you on, like, is there a Tinder bio or are you, are you a sort of a face-to-face -face guy? Do you like to see how domesticated women are before you proceed in a relationship? Oh, no, I like, I, like to, I like to meet, I'm still old-fashioned that way, I still like to meet women in person and not over the internet, you know? It's, yeah. Uh, old school. Over the internet, you know, it's like everybody can, uh, you know, can say whatever, but, you know, it's, it's, it's better always to see... Uh, a, a person, uh, I mean, meet them in person so you can have a feeling, you know? Yeah. Although, oh, sorry, Carla, go on. Well, I would imagine, Fabio, that there are plenty of people online pretending to be you so that when you actually put your real photo on to date, people wouldn't actually think right. it's you. Do you find that? Yeah, you know, it's like we, we had a um, few times a uh, problem with uh, a lot of people on Facebook and Instagram putting, you know, uh, my picture on, and uh, but... Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, it's the world today. What are you going to do? Mm. Uh, if I had a photo like yours, I would, that would be my Tinder profile mm, picture mm, for sure. Uh, Come you, on, <laughs> you, look, you look pretty good. Come oh, on. stop it. And I'm domesticated too. Pretty I, I'm good. Pretty, pretty good. <laughs> not bad. Not are bad. you? It's just the hair. It's the hair. You're, I, like, yeah. you're, like you're still uh, the envy of men everywhere, but now you're helping them to uh, perfect their everyday look. Tell us about this new venture of yours. Yeah, I'm telling you, I have this brother called uh, Aston James, and uh, you know, for the longest time, they, uh, a lot of companies, they come up to me and they want to uh, promote their product. But a lot of products out there, they're, uh, they're full of chemical. They're not the real thing. And, you know, everybody knows uh, Australia or have the most amazing, uh, you know, uh, plants and uh, organic plants. And, uh, you know, they're, they're amazing. And, and so we come out with some of the best uh, uh, product, you know, shampoo and air conditioning. And, uh, you know, of course, all the, you know, uh, face cream and, uh, and even hand sanitizer. And, uh, you know, people love it. I mean, it's a, it's a really uh, a great product for men. But actually, it's a, we made it for the pleasure of women. Uh, because, of course, when the men look good, you know, it's always who's going to benefit is the women. Ah, uh, see what you did there. <laughs> hey, now, before you go... Well, you know, we when you groom and you smell good... Right, and yeah. you are with your with your girlfriend, with your wife. Who's going to benefit of that? Irresistible. You, you, Absolutely, you I love it. I love the way you think. I love the packaging. Packaging yeah. is good. Now, before you go, we'd like to play a little game with you as the king of romance himself. So, Fabio, all you have to do is put your hand on your heart and answer these questions one hundred percent truthfully. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Here we go. Okay. Hand on your heart. Have you ever wanted to shave off that hair of yours? 
Actually, I was in the army. I was in the military. So, you know, I, I, they, for a couple of years, they thought I shaved my hair. Okay. Okay. Now, hand on your heart, did you really once reject actress Andy McDowell? Um, no, I mean, we're good friends. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I always saw as a, you know, beautiful woman, but just as a friend. Yeah, nice friends with Andy. Hand on your heart, how would you describe fellow supermodel Naomi Campbell? Um, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> no comment. No, no comment. comment. Okay. Let's, oh, you can take your uh, hand. Maybe nice, but a little bitchy. <laughs> All right. You can take your hand off your heart if you feel like you have to make something up. That's fine, too. In 1999, you had a famous run-in with a goose while riding a roller coaster. This wouldn't, wouldn't viral around the world. Yeah. Hand on your heart, do you now live in fear of birds? Not at all. Not at Not all. At all. You, you... all right. We thought you your know... answer was going to be longer, so we thought we'd run the vision, but the answer was too quick. Hang on, we've got to see the pictures now. Do you freak when you see this? Do you do you freak out? Do you get nightmares about this at all? No, because you know, it's like that was uh, um, what happened. Actually, the bird hit the camera, and the and the piece of the camera, uh, piece of metal, of the camera flew and cut oh. uh, the bridge of the nose, and that was a miracle. But you know, uh, they call it the other god because they were afraid of me suing uh, Budweiser, and so they blamed it on a bird, but actually the bird hit the camera. The bird never hit my face. Ah. It was the, the camera who shot it, and a piece of metal, I will, I'll tell you, I was very fortunate, very lucky. You were. Because I one stitch, yeah. and there was a piece of metal just cut up the bridge of my nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Fabio, lovely to talk to you this morning. Thanks for having a bit of fun with us today. We appreciate it. Good to thank chat. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for having me, and you know, Aston Martin, you know, Aston James all the way. <laughs> and an Aston Martin helps as well. Actually, you know why we came up with that name? Why? Was it's Aston Martin and James Bond. Oh, and we came out with the name Aston makes, James. Makes sense. Thank you so much, Fabio. Great chatting this morning. Great stuff. Bye. Thank you. Thank Bye -bye. you for having me, guys. Thanks, Thank guys. you. Well, Prince Philip was originally admitted to London's King Edward VII Hospital as a precaution. However, he's now spent 13 days there, his longest ever hospital stay. Let's get the latest. We welcome Royal Commentator Angela Moller to Morning. the couch. Hello, Ange. Uh, the Duke of Edinburgh walked himself into hospital. When are we going to see him come out? Well, look, there's no indication at this stage, and this has gone on a lot longer than we thought he was going mm. to be there. The messaging is still that he's, you know, that he's fine and it's just for observation. Prince Edward and Prince William have both spoken about how their um, father and grandfather ago and they say he's very frustrated he's staring at the walls he's and there's lots of messages coming in for him but the fact as you say Kylie that this is the longest stay he's ever had in hospital particularly he had a stay that went back into 2013 for an operation on his abdomen but I think this speaks volumes about um about he may be he may be more ill than we think he is and I think that the messaging in the UK at the moment is very much trying to get people to get their vaccines they don't want to take any attention off that mm. now while we've all been looking forward to the Oprah interview with Harry and Meghan this other royal chat came along oh, on Friday night our time. It good. set the internet ablaze. Oh, I thought the entire package was brilliant. Everything in it was beautiful. The tea falling on him. And he went on and they did a military exercise where James Corden was absolutely hopeless and we showed how fit Harry was. And one little tidbit I really loved was when he was saying what um, Harry was saying, what the Queen had phoned and said, what could we get Archie for Christmas? And um, that suggested a waffle maker. So the Queen had organised, you know, 
presumably online, a waffle maker to be sent and Archie was having waffles every morning. But look, in terms of um, rehabilitating Harry's image, um, look, I think in stateside, they love him now. The yeah. British are a lot more sceptical because, of course, he called out the British press. But look, I, from a personal point of view, I think it was the best thing he could do. We had no warning of it. I think this was a better interview, potentially, than we're going to see on Oprah. He, he's always been my royal, hasn't he, Kyle? He's been my... So ever, ever since, since that naked Vegas Naked billiards. billiards in Vegas. I'm like, that's my guy. That's relatable, isn't it, Yeah, Harry? now yeah. is even more relatable. I really, really like it. We got to see a different side. Haven't heard him speak like no, that, laugh was, like that, be so candid. He looked happy, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Uh, look, you know, look, we, there's a lot to, that's going to play out in the next um, few months, I think. But, yeah, he looked happy. Yeah. Here's the thing. Mm. He's been accused of overshadowing the Queen's COVID-19 message. And that's a bit unfair, I think. He couldn't have known that she was... So she's put out a message encouraging the British public to become vaccinated and really sort of going against the anti-vaxxers. And I, this is her message there. I think it's... Look, he can't have known that. He won't know the workings of the royal family every day. He wouldn't know whether it was going mm. to appear on James Gordon. I think that's a, a bit too cruel to blame him for that. Now, just quickly, we see on the vision there that Aww. Queen's brooch, and that has very special significance. I, I remember this when she first was given this. Oh, maybe, really? Back in 1947, she... do you I thought, well, I thought it was 46, but OK, Ange, you're no, the boss. No, it was 47, 47, actually. Yes, yes. It was 70. It was uh, to mark her engagement to Prince Philip there. It's a diamond clematis brooch. And isn't that a beautiful message? I think she's sending it to her husband in hospital, basically, yeah. you know, re recalling that moment. I think it was really lovely. Good oh. that you remembered it too, Larry. Yes, well, I was there. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was watching it on TV. Uh, back to the workings of Harry and Meghan. Uh, their Archwell Foundation, this mm. is their charitable mm. foundation that they set up. Uh, the website's been updated with a very important... Um Something's been removed. Yes, so initially when they put up, um, uh, just a few months ago, mm. uh, they changed the website and they had pictures of their mothers, so um, Megan with Doria and, of course, um, little Harry with his mum. That's now taken down and they've put a new um, page up where they talk about what Archwell means, which is a bit... Airy, look, I find it a bit nauseating, to be honest. Um, but they talk about compassion. It's about service. They're really plugging home that service thing. But I think what this says a lot to this, there, it says, you know, arch, it's, you know, it's meaning meaning well. And then, of course, it, it going and digging deep. What's really interesting about that change is that they keep changing things all the time. Change, 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 change. New thing, new thing, new thing. What happens with Archwell is it has to work. If this doesn't work, there is no purpose for Harry. Now, all those agreements with Spotify and Netflix, those, those um, broadcasting streams, they can just drop them and, and move on to the next person. Mm. But they need this to work. Harry and Meghan need this to work mm. for them to have a purpose outside of the royal family. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the Trooping of the Colour. And the event uh, will mark the Queen's birthday June the 12th, uh, Prince Andrew will not be there. No. What does that tell us? It tells us a lot that he's really the pariah prince now. He's dishonoured from the royal family. Princess, Princess Anne and Prince Andrew and Prince Charles have always ridden as colonels. They have a colonel role within the regiments um, and, and in the military. He's now not going to be part of that. An Afghanistani war veteran is going to take his place. Of course, he did. He was front and centre of the Trooping the Coloured back in, 18, in 2018 and 2019. It was very much scaled down for COVID in 2020, but the fact he's going to be missing from this event speaks volumes yeah. of where he really stands in the royal family, which is very low. Mm. Speaking of Andrew, <clears throat> his brother, Prince Charles, mm. uh, he's been, well, a royal biographer thinks he is unfit mm. to take over the throne. 
This is interesting. I'm sure the uh, people always say to me, is Prince Charles going to take over the throne? He has to. Unless he decides to abdicate, he will take over. But Clive Irving, a, a royal bi biographer, has come out and said that Prince Charles is simply not fit for the job, that he's a twit, um, that he's in, he doesn't have any of the inscrutable characteristics that the Queen had and that sense of duty, and that we effectively we know too much about him. Now, we do know quite a bit about him, don't we, back mm. in um, the day when he mm. was having phone conversations with Camilla that were overheard. Um, look, I think it's deeply unfair. He is the longest, um, uh, he's the person, the person that's waited to be the monarch the longest mm. and he will be the oldest monarch when he takes the throne. And we have to expect, you know, that possibly isn't too far off. His, his mother is 94. Not the first lazy twit to get a good job, am I right? <laughs> am I right? I would never say that. <laughs> Thanks, Ange. Good to see you. You're not lazy at all. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ange. Thanks, Kylie. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Well, known as the father of the Australian music industry, Michael Godinski truly shaped pop culture as we know it. He founded the Mushroom Group in 1972 and Frontier Touring seven years later and was responsible for some of our most notable artists. Kylie Minogue, Jimmy Barnes, Paul Kelly, that's just to name a few. Michael was the driving force behind so many iconic albums from Skyhooks and Split Ends in the 70s to modern favourites like es Eskimo Joe and Evermore. And when it came to massive tours, the Rolling Stones, Madonna, Ed Sheeran as well, Taylor Swift in the list. There's no question as to why he was known as Godinsky. His passion and determination inspired so many. His loyalty made him much loved at work and at home. But at age 68, Michael sadly passed away. A statement announcing the music legend died peacefully in his sleep. And his legacy will live on through his family. And Michael Kodinsky's friend and biographer, uh, Stuart Coop, joins us here in the studio. Thanks very much for joining us in what was still a very difficult day for people who knew him so well. And he had so many friends, famous friends and, and great friends in the business. How are you feeling today? I, I don't think it's really sunk in yet, you know, and I think that's the case for most people. I mean, Michael was such a larger-than-life character. You know, it sounds like a bit of a cliche, but that was Michael. Uh, and so, you know, he impacted on, on so many lives. And for me, no, I never conceived that there would be a world where there wasn't a Michael right. Gudinski on the phone right. berating you about some new release that he had or talking about some tour and, uh, and racing into a gig uh, and talking at a million miles an hour. And Michael had that ability to talk about 50 different subjects in about two minutes. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was, that was the sort of person he was. And he, you never forgot that you were in the presence of Michael Gudinski. And so many, many you know, thousands of people will be feeling, you know, that loss very keenly. Mm -hmm. So a huge public persona, a self-made millionaire, that's important, mm -hmm. but never seemed to have this overinflated ego. So you spent much time with him as his biographer. Mm -hmm. yeah, that, that's rare, really. Yeah, look, I think Michael, Michael knew who he was, mm. but he was never one for really looking back. He was acutely aware of his legacy. It was five decades shaping Australian popular music and, and rock and roll. So, you know, he, he knew he was Michael Gudinski, but he didn't 
spend a lot of time looking back and thinking about that. He was because he, he was so frenetic. Mm. Yeah, you know, why think about what happened yesterday? There were 87 different things that <laughs> yeah, we had to yeah. do today. Wow. Uh, so that's what he was about. Gadinsky's rule was you can never, ever let them cancel. He was pretty tough with this one. Is that one of the things that made him so good at his job? Because he knew people had to hear the music. Yeah, look, you know, he was a, he was a, a tough and determined businessman. You know, you, you don't survive for five decades and build an empire that encompassed like 50 companies, you know, people don't know, you know, mm. his company made the Chopper Reed film. I mean, he was in yeah. film, he was in music publishing, he was in, obviously, as you mentioned, tour promoting. Look, Michael, there were a lot of things that made Michael what he was. One was that he was a really good listener, which was hard to imagine when he was talking at you. Uh, but he surrounded himself by really, really uh, competent, intelligent people. And he doesn't get enough credit for what he did with women, you know, in, in an industry that's not renowned for its great leap forward in the, those areas. You know, Michael always surrounded himself by really intelligent, smart, articulated, very opinionated women. Mm. Uh, but again, he never even thought about gender. He just wanted the best people best around yeah. him. And, and they treated him like dad, you know. It was, it was family, you know. Mm. He was, you know, it was Michael. And, and he, that's the way he worked with his artists, you know. He knew everything about the music industry. He didn't think that knowledge was power. You know, he's, he was going, well, you need to do this. Let me tell you about this. Let's, let's work out how you do mm. this. Um, and, you know, all of his artists loved him because of that. He was, he was one of them. He, you know, I remember in his heyday when I was managing Paul Kelly, which is when I first met him in the mm. 80s. I mean, Michael would see 10 shows, well, he'd see a bit of 10 shows in a night. You know, he'd dash into a venue. Wow. Hi, how you going? Great, great. Good to see you all. Shake hands. Hands you know, on. He'd watch mm. a couple of so songs and then, boom, he's gone. He's off to another venue and another venue. Mm. And mm. didn't didn't stop. And that that's right to the end. I mean, we've just, you know, had the, what we call the COVID year. Did Michael sit around going, oh, there's nothing to do, the music industry's dead? No. He organised, you know, the whole concert from the home front. Mm. Um, he put together... Um, you know, the success of the countdown with a national um, television show devoted to new and emerging Australian uh, and international talent. Last Thursday, he was at the Enmore Theatre in Sydney watching Midnight mm -hmm. Oil. Yeah. You know, yeah. just unstoppable. Well, that's, that's passion, isn't it? And yeah. I think what we see that you talk about the love he had of artists. Yes. We see the biggest names in the world, Bruce Springsteen, Ed Sheeran, Kylie Minogue. We've just seen... Paul McCartney, like a beetle, yes, a beetle. <laughs> tweeting about you. I mean, that, that's just a mark of the man, isn't it, Stuart? It, it's the man, and, and everybody did love him, and he, he engaged with him, you know, and, and you, you never forgot that Michael Gadinsky had been in the room, even if it was only for 17 seconds. You know, he was there, <laughs> but, but, you know, fundamentally the reason that these huge names um, are remembering him is because he did care. And he would go the, the hard yards to make sure they were looked after. You know, I went up to Newcastle with him once to see Rod Stewart when we were working on the book. You know, he didn't really need to be at the 10th show of a 15-show tour in Newcastle, but it was important to him to be there and he wanted... Rod to know that he yeah. was there. Most other promoters would yeah. go, oh, that's a regional show, don't need to worry, yeah. you know, da-da-da-da-da, I'll no, see them I wanted in, to be in, there, yeah. yeah. Uh, you wrote the biography, Gadinsky, the Godfather of Australian Rock and Roll. It was a book that he never wanted, he, yeah. uh, <laughs> but he eventually approved. W was he happy with it in the end, given that you've already said he's not a man who liked to look back and talk about himself? Yeah, and look, I chased him for about 10 years, because <laughs> he, he, he'd liked my book, The Promoters, and he, he bought lots and lots of copies of that because he thought he came out better 
better than all the other promoters. And I said to one of his friends, what does he do with 180 copies of my book? And they said, oh, he won't tell you how much he loves it, but he signs it and gives it to people. <laughs> to Rod Stewart. Uh, yeah, and all that, look, if you want to know about me, look at, look at this. So I chased him because I, uh, I said to him, look, you know, this is not just an important music industry story, Michael. Your life is a very important Australian story, you know, period. You mm. know, it's 50 years, half a century of, of shaping popular culture. Uh, so when he eventually, you know, okay, um, you know, he was very generous with his time and he gave me, you know, entree to a lot of people that up to that point hadn't wanted to, um, well, you know, they were respectful of Michael, yeah, which, right. you know, I had no problem uh, with that. Did he like it all? Uh, there's a, for the most part, and I think he was very flattered by the fact that it was written, but he respected the fact that there were a couple of things in it that maybe you know he would have had written a little differently but he respected the honesty uh, and the fact that I told the story that the way I, I wanted yeah. to to tell it but Stuart, overall yeah. Yeah. yeah I loved your message yesterday you said you you didn't have the words yesterday but no. you loved him mm. yeah. thank you for your words today. thank you thank Thanks, you Stuart. appreciate Stuart. you coming in. thank you well, it's the Out of the Palace expose the world has been waiting for in just five sleeps. We'll finally hear from the Duke and Duchess of Sussex and we're promised, Oprah's promised, if she says it, it must be true, nothing is off limits. That's an Oprah promise while Oprah herself is drip-feeding us teasers. The rumour mill is in overdrive and Sussex speculation swirling. So what exactly will the tell-all mean for the royal family moving forward? To discuss this with us, we're joined by journalist and author of Royals at War, Dylan Howard. Uh, Dylan, welcome back to the show. Good to see you. Good to be with you. Uh, you covered the Sussexes' departure from the palace extensively. Uh, how far in advance do you think Prince Harry and Meghan were planning this tell-all? A long time in advance, but it couldn't be worse timing. At the moment, 99-year-old Prince Philip is in hospital. He's been in hospital for three weeks. And people are suggesting that this interview, though well-designed and well architected by Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, could not come at a worse time. There is genuine concern over the health of Prince Philip, and if this were to fall at a time when something might happen that is very dire to Prince Philip, it would be a right world catastrophe. But already Buckingham Palace is bracing itself. In the last few minutes, a story broke in the Times newspaper, a broadsheet newspaper in London, in which Palisades have stepped forward and criticised Meghan Markle before this Oprah interview for saying that she was a bully, forcing one staff member to quit and two others to leave. This, of course, was a fact first revealed in my book. Wow. So this is, this is now just being reported in this broadsheet newspaper, so usually a little bit more conservative, conservative than the tabloids. Uh, what do we think the reaction will be to, to this? Well, the big question is, what is going to be the revelation that Meghan Markle presents in this Oprah tell-all? All we've heard at this point is the question, were you silent or were you silenced? Meghan Markle is going to say that she was silenced, that the royal family wouldn't allow her to defend herself against claims from the British media, which she will say had an undertone of racism, a very valid criticism. But it is not the Windsor style to address this type of criticism in the public forum as the Duchess, formerly known as the Duchess of Sussex, actually did. And that was ultimately in a court of law.
So she's going to face some resistance from the palace. And this tears at the very fabric of the Windsor family. As far as royal sit-downs go, where do you think this will rank on the controversy, controversial scales? Because we've seen some horrors, haven't we? And we are being told time and time again, nothing is off limits here. Well, make no mistake, the most recent uh, tell-all interviews that shocked the very foundation of Buckingham Palace was Prince Andrew's disastrous attempt at trying to weasel his way out of his alignment to Jeffrey Epstein. That was an unmitigated disaster. But this is going to be nothing like we've seen since Princess Diana sat down with Martin Bashir, where she infamously said that there were three people in the marriage, Camilla Parker Bowles, Prince Charles and herself. The royals will expect that Meghan Markle will accuse them of being racist as part of this. But again, the timing just could not come at a worse time. Yeah. We know Prince Harry will be making mention of his mother, Princess Diana. Do we think that's as emotional as he will get? Or do you think the Duke will see another side to the Duke that we haven't seen before? I think he'll get very emotional. And this all centres around the media attention that Princess Diana faced and ultimately led to her death. And the media exposure that Meghan Markle faced in her uh, short stint as a member of the House of Windsor. But what is the most hypocritical thing about this is that this is a couple who are doing an interview with Oprah Winfrey on the biggest stage in America, CBS Sunday night prime time. What makes it even more hypocritical is the fact that this is a couple that has sought the limelight over the past 12 months since moving to Los Angeles. The bright, the lights shine no brighter than the paparazzi in Los Angeles. And I'm even aware of one instance through freedom of information records that show that the Sussexes were leaking stories to media outlets and journalists were trying to get information about where the drones were flying over their estate in Montecito. So the suggestion that they are unfairly targeted and uh, there is an intrusion upon their seclusion really is one that I can't accept. OK. Now, a television host from the UK recently revealed Oprah's team had requested vision of her interview with Meghan's sister, Samantha. What do you think about this? Was it re for research purposes or will we hear uh, Meghan directly address members of the family? You'd think if nothing is off limits, Oprah would be asking about her dad and her sister, of course. Well, it's the inevitable topic. You can't mm. talk about the Markles without talking about... Uh, Thomas Markle and the rest of the family, including Samantha, who released a book that was a monumental flop, which again, I think just goes to show that not too many people are interested in the Markles at this stage in America as we battle a pandemic and resurrect ourselves from a political crisis. That said, people will be tuning into this. She will fire back at the family, but it's not about the Markles. It's about the Windsors and who she mentioned specifically. In her eyes, in her target, will be Prince Philip, uh, the Queen, Kate Middleton and Prince William. And that makes for an explosive Sunday night here in America. So, Dylan, as we say goodbye, how do we think the palace is going to respond? Do you think they're going to come out all guns blazing or do you think they will just take a stiff upper lip to whatever uh, Meghan and Harry have to say next week? I think they'll be forced to say something, particularly if Prince Philip's health is at the centre of this. The fact that we have Palisades talking tonight already to broadsheet newspapers suggests that Buckingham Palace is going to buck trend, which is typically to remain silent, and they will face these allegations head on. And that could become a PR disaster for Harry and Nate. 
Okay. Dylan Howard, we can't wait to see how it all pans out next week. Thank you so much for your time this morning, all the way there You're from well. LA. Excellent. Yeah, it'll be fascinating, won't it? Make haste, for you have all been cordially invited to delve inside the world of Bridgerton. Thank you. With the queen of it all, one Julia Quinn. It was in the year 2000 when the now New York Times best-selling author published her first book in the series. Two decades on, and a Netflix drama inspired by Julia's work would be streamed by 82 million households in its first month of release. The tale of ballroom scandals, forbidden trysts, and of course a certain Duke of Hastings, who Kylie calls <coughs> have won over legions of fans. Now that Bridgerton fever has well and truly taken over, my friends, Let's meet the brains who started it all. Julia Quinn joins us live now from her home in Seattle. Oh, Julia, this is such a thrill. We're such great fans of all of this going on. You get to call this call from your agent saying your books are going to be made into a big-budget Netflix series. How do you react to that? How do you react? I couldn't believe it. I, um, I was sitting in a Starbucks, as one does, pretending to write, as all writers do. And my agent calls and says, I've just had the most interesting conversation. Have you heard of Shonda Rhimes? And I kind of said, uh, yes. And it kind of took off from there. It came out of nowhere. And I don't know, I feel like Cinderella. Wow. So The Duke and I is the first book in the series, but it was released mm -hmm. two decades ago. So I'm really yeah. interested, Julie, how did the Netflix series get to be picked up? Did someone buy the rights 10 years ago and was just sitting on it? Or did you know, the producer just happen to read it now and decide, I wanted to do this? So it actually started with Shondaland, not with Netflix. Um, and the way I understand it is that, and I hope I have this right, Shonda Rhimes went on vacation and ran out of books and somehow... <laughs> found one of mine. And so all I can think is that my life has been changed forever because Shonda didn't pack enough books on her vacation. <laughs> and we must point out that Shonda too is this world famous um, TV producer. She brought the world ER, right? That's who, so just, we yes, she's very famous. Mm. She's, she's the best. Mm. She's simply the best. And, uh, and living in Seattle, where, you know, her famous show Grey's Anatomy is set, we all hold her, you know, a little special. Mm. Uh, my husband's a doctor. So, you know, again, we're very Grey's and big Grey's Anatomy fans here. But um, yeah, she somehow picked up my books and loved them. And I don't know how long she was thinking about doing it before she finally called. But then some months after that, she finished inking her deal with Netflix. And that's when it moved from, you know, Shondaland to Netflix. Wow. Yeah, I said, yeah, I meant Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you worked uh, as a consultant on the script and even visited the set. So what was it like seeing the characters that you created in your head suddenly before you? It was incredible. I mean, I'm not the most visual of writers, so I'm not somebody who has this super, super clear idea of what they look like in my head. But when I saw these actors, I was instantly like, oh, of course, that's Daphne, that's Simon. <laughs> yeah, so it just goes to show you how powerful and amazing a really good casting director is. Um, but honestly, to me, the most incredible part of visiting the set was um, seeing how many people were working on it. Because when you're a novelist, you know, you're by yourself. And this story started out with just me and my head, you know, my imagination and my computer. And now there are hundreds and hundreds of people actually working on it. And that was just incredible to see. Mm. And the Duke of Hastings, boy, hasn't he captured the world's imagination, Julia? 
Oh my gosh. He, you know, I did get a chance to meet reggae once in person and he is as handsome as you would imagine in person and, and lovely. And I don't want to just objectify him. He's also incredibly kind, incredibly funny, incredibly smart, but yeah, he smiles at you and you're immediately kind of like, <laughs> you know, um, he's, he's, Women make the strangest noises. You go through life looking like that. Everyone makes the strangest noises when they're talking about this guy. Do you find when you're when you're writing this? Did you find the women back in that day were more domesticated than women today? <laughs> I'm not. I was listening to the Fabio interview, so I'm not falling into that one. Yeah, that's a very good call. Don't, don't answer it. It doesn't need an answer. Yeah. Now the series has garnered international praise for its inclusive casting. You must be really proud that Bridgerton is is well and truly leading the way nowadays. I am. You know, in in the original books, I don't believe I specified skin, skin color, but it's certainly implied that all the characters are white. Um, and I am so incredibly grateful for the creative team at Shondaland that they were able to take this story and expand it in a way that allows so many more people to see themselves in a happy ending. Because um, what I really think the message is, and the, the thing about romance novels is that they're all about the feelings that you get, the feeling of that happy ending. And if we can do something that enables more people to think, hey, I get to be in the happy ending as well. I get a happy ending too. I think that's fabulous. And so I just, my overwhelming feeling is gratitude, honestly. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, unbelievably so. Season two coming soon. So what's Can't one wait. thing, Julie, that you really want to see in the next series? Because I don't know how they can, imp I don't know how it can get any better, but what would you love to see? Well, so I, I have to say, I haven't seen any of the scripts yet. Um, so I don't, I don't know, but I do know that it will be following the story of Anthony Bridgerton. Um, so it should be pulling ideas from the Viscount who loved me, which is the second book in the series. And what I hope for the most, there's a scene in that book where they're playing Paul Mall, which is like an old fashioned version of croquet. And the Bridgerton family really elevates this to a blood sport because they're pretty competitive. <laughs> and it's a super fun scene. And so that's what I'm most hoping for. I've got oh. my fingers crossed. Well, it's a super fun fit. scene. I'm sure it gets it. Uh, thank you so much. It's beautiful to uh, see where this story originated. And we love your passion for it. And we're going to give a mention to your husband too. Paul, he's an infectious diseases expert. Boy, he is. what a year you guys are having. So lovely to talk to you. <laughs> Julia Quinn, the author of Bridgerton series. Thank you. Well, travel has been one of the most talked about topics over the weekend. Qantas confirmed their hopes for international takeoff in October. Flight Centre urging Aussies to book domestic flights. And regional airline Rex made a huge move into capital city routes, kicking off their Melbourne to Sydney flights just this morning. So with more and more companies fighting for your business, is now the time to snap up a bargain and take that long-awaited holiday. For more, we're joined by CEO of the Tourism and Transport Forum, Margie Osman. Hi, Margie. Great to hey, see Margie. you Morning. again. Uh, Rex launching the Sydney to Melbourne route. I mean, that's a game changer, hopefully. Well, it's terrific news. More competition in the marketplace is a wonderful thing. Um, and I think, you know, people have been asking me for donkey's ages whether airline tickets were to get much more expensive. Mm. I don't think so. I think what you're actually looking at, bargain territory. 
um, for quite some time now. And is this just to get us up in the sky again? Will we expect that might change at some point? Do we need to take advantage of these cheap fares I'd now? be taking advantage of them. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're never going to see sort of uh, uh, the cheapest of the cheap forever and ever, given the pain the industry's seen. But it's certainly a way of encouraging people yeah, yeah. and getting them to feel a bit more confident about getting on a plane. So mm -hmm. Sydney to Melbourne for Rex, and they're expanding to other destinations as well? Yeah, a range of regional ones and doing things like Melbourne, Adelaide, etc. So it's all good for the aviation industry. You know, the more options people have to travel, the sooner we'll get them back in the air and taking holidays. Yeah. Now, on an international level, Qantas are positive that we'll see overseas travel later this year. They say they're going to kick off in October. How are you well, feeling about I, that? Yeah, I mean, work? I think that'd be lovely. Yes. Um, but uh, obviously... you got your bags packed. <laughs> Uh, I think it's a case where, though, uh, yeah, yeah. and look, you know, international could mean New Zealand, maybe the Pacific Islands. And we've seen how quickly New Zealand can turn off, right? Correct. And I think this is part of the issue. The next six months is critical because this is vaccination time. Yeah. So uh, this is this is what will make the difference in terms of those state borders closing all the time at the drop of a hat and the internationals, we hope. Mm. And also, if they're announcing those overseas routes, there's still the quarantine issue, which I think is one of the the single biggest issue is people can't afford to go on holiday and come back and quarantine for two mm. weeks. And that two-week quarantine isn't going anywhere. No, not in the short term. And I think this is the really important part people need to understand is that there's still a lot of things to be sorted out mm. in terms of, well, who can come here? What sort of vaccine status have they got? What constitutes the right proportion of the population that's been vaccinated? All of those kinds of things. And, you know, are we going to need digital vaccination passports and all yeah. sorts of stuff? I know we ask you this each and every time <laughs> that you're on the couch, but the sands are shifting and shifting quickly. When are we really realistically going to America or getting on a plane and going to the UK, Europe? I still wouldn't be holding my breath much before the second half of next year. Second half of next year. Okay. Because it's about all of those processes that have to be in place. Mind mm. you, if uh, you know the vaccination's taken, there's a massive drop in, in um, communication of the disease. Once again, we have to be agile, but right now I'd be saying second half of next year. Okay. You touched on vaccination passports. What, Margie, from an industry perspective, what are you hearing about that? Mm. And also the airlines insisting on maybe that you be vaccinated. Yeah. So you know, the country says, well, it's up to you, but... Well, the airline may insist upon it. Air New Zealand's already come out with a big splash on that. Um, and Qantas, of course, came out some long time ago, suggesting that this was going to be in our future. I think it would be fair to say that probably all of the government agencies have been looking at this for an extended period. I think you'll find they're probably very well prepared. Uh, and Australia has always led the world in the technology game in terms of borders. So whatever we do land on, which will need to be consistent for all of those airlines mm, and airports mm. and states and borders. Yes, yes. <laughs> Just one solution would be good. Yeah. Um, I think you'll find Australia will be pretty much world leading in that space. All right, some states still reporting COVID cases. Travel still very much touch and go. A lot of people went, started to book things because mm. we thought it was sort of coming to an end, then things shut down again and all that sort of stuff. What, what, what's your advice for someone who wants to get their money back, looking to get their money mm. back and struggling with that? Well, look, in the first instance, we've been saying for a long time, be very careful about the terms and conditions. Look really carefully about that before you book. Mm. Uh, if you can get travel insurance, take it out. But I suppose the only real issue that you can sort of follow through now is go and talk to the sort of travel agents association and potentially the ombudsman. Could you see, uh, just on back on the vaccination passports, do you think you will see agreement between all airlines that come into Australia, maybe, that they will all agree that this is what our policy is going to be? Is there likely to be that sort of a collegiate? Well, I hope so. Um, 
Do I think it'll happen? I think it may have to. Yeah. Um, but the question will be, will the Australian standards be higher than other parts of the world? So these are the kinds of things that are going to have to be worked out mm. because, uh, you know, you can't have one airline accepting something here and yes. another one down here simply because that's what they get to do at home. Mm. So we are going to need some global agreement in this space. And for goodness Absolutely. sake, travellers need to understand exactly what's going to happen and be able to recognise patterns mm. when they travel now because so many yeah. things will change. So everyone around the world is looking at Australia and going, wish I was there right now. We're yeah. going to the beach, we're going to restaurants, we're doing all normal things. So it's a great place to be now. And you've got some tips for us to travel locally now. Well, I think probably the travel locally tips might be don't go to the usual places because what you'll find is places like Lord Howe or Byron Bay or the Hunter Valley, fabulous, but they're all booked out. So well, not if you're staying with the Hemsworths, they're not. <laughs> well, there you go. But you know what? I would be suggesting people think about a CBD holiday. Yep. Think about a long weekend in your capital city where the only country in the world that actually has performing arts happening at the moment, yep. book in, go see Frozen. Or go and see Beady Bow down at the Sydney Theatre Company. Or Harry Potter's just reopened in Melbourne. Yes. Have a great time at a wonderful hotel. Go to some restaurants. Have a CBD holiday. Uh, are there Good. bargains to be had at hotels at the moment? There certainly are. Okay. Mm. So you just need to have a bit of a squeeze. Have a look. Yeah. Okay. Good, Good stuff. stuff. Thank you, Muggy. <laughs> Good snap. <laughs> I think Kylie started to say, but I always like to finish her sentences. Absolutely. Thanks, Muggy. Ashley Graham has made it her mission to change the way we talk about fashion. And when this supermodel, businesswoman and mum to one speaks, the entire world listens. For two decades, Ashley has been promoting change and encouraging the industry to embrace diversity, becoming the first size 14 model to feature on the cover of Sports Illustrated's coveted swimsuit edition. And now the American catwalk star is spreading her message down under. Ashley Graham joins us live from New York City. Hi, Ashley. Hey. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, first of all, we need to talk about your recent Wall Street Journal covers. Hello. These are fabulous shots. How, how was the shoot? Oh, the shoot was incredible. I feel like the cover and the story was a testament to my 20-year career in the industry. And it was such an honor. Um, I mean, the real excitement was just to be able to share what's been, what has actually happened in the last 20 years. Now, you've been doing this for a while now, but it, obviously it still excites you to see the finished product, right? <laughs> yes, definitely. I had an agent once tell me that bad covers happen to good people, so I'm always grateful when a good cover comes out. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been uh, pushing for change for years, you know, for women of all shapes and sizes to be included in fashion. It's 2021. So how are we going, Ashley? How does it sit? You know, there's so much change that still needs to happen within the fashion industry. I've been doing this for 20 years. There's many curve models that have been um, before me. But what I have to say now is we're seeing all different shape, uh, shapes and sizes of women um, portrayed through film, TV, movie, um, magazines, runway. It's remarkable. But I have to say there still is so much education that needs to happen, especially with designers when they're in school about how to create sizes that are bigger and um, and then it, it's a cycle it's about the buyer and then it's about the customer I mean it's it's really truly education at the end of the day okay now you're also a mother to one-year-old Isaac congratulations a newborn during the pandemic wow uh, how, did, how did you cope with that during all that chaos of last year 
Oh my goodness. Well, I had Isaac in January of 2020 and then um, the pandemic hit New York in March and me, my husband and my mom drove from New York to Nebraska, where I'm from. It was a 20 hour drive and we did it all in one shot. And I have to say the silver lining of having a newborn in a pandemic was that I got eight months of um, maternity leave, eight months that I never would have had. And I was so grateful because I was thinking, how am I going to go back to work after three months? Yeah. Well, speaking about uh, going back to work, uh, you recently said, I'm quoting you, you should never feel guilty for working for your child. So, Mm. So talk us through that. Well, I think that it's important for any type of mother who, if she wants to go back to work, to do it, to do it for yourself. And I I know for me, if I'm taking care of myself and I'm making time for who I want to be, I'm going to be a better mother for Isaac. Okay, good stuff. Hey, we're very excited because you've partnered with an Australian label and that means you're, we can call you Australian now. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about the new campaign. Well, it's called, it's called Common Rate. It's a fabulous clothing line. I'm actually wearing it right now. I am a huge, huge fan. Um, it goes, it starts at size 10 and goes up to a size 22 Australian sizes. It's thoughtfully designed, expertly cut and fit driven fashion. Um, there are zero compromises. I think feel like the ethos of Common Re and I have uh, very similarity when we come when we come from the background of fashion. We don't want labels. We don't want to be called something because of the number inside of our pants. And um, I feel like fashion should be made for anyone. And these are cool, comfortable essentials that you can wear anywhere at any time. Because you must be approached by brands all the time trying to get you on board, right? I mean, sure. I, you know, I have to say, I only work with brands that I really, truly believe in. And I'm so excited that this is my first Australian brand to really be working with. Um, I went to Melbourne in 2018 and I had so much fun and I can't wait to be back in Australia. All right. We can't wait to see you back here. Ashley, lovely to talk to you this morning. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, Frankie J. Holden is one of Australia's entertainment greats from his rock and roll roots in old 55. What a great band to his countless TV credits, including the likes of Home and Away and A Place to Call Home. But now the Medal of, uh, Medal of the Order of Australia recipient is showing his charitable side, signing on for a brand new season of Adventure All-Stars and raising vital funds for myeloma. Australia. And Frankie J. Holden joins us live from the New South Wales Sapphire Coast, most beautiful part of the world. Great to see you again. A musician, actor, holiday park owner, the list goes on. Borders have opened up uh, after all the lockdowns. How are things looking now? Oh, things are great, Larry. The, there's, uh, the sun is shining. It's a beautiful blue sky day down here and there are lots of people around. So obviously the predicted boom in domestic travel is definitely starting to happen which is great for everybody who can get out finally and also great for all the local businesses because we were affected by COVID and fires down here as you know so 
things are very positive down here. And you've even been heading back to your musical roots doing some concerts at the park. <laughs> and that must be great to, to get back out there, is it, Frankie? It is. I've really missed live performance. And so we've been picking that up again at the at Tarsal Beachside, as you say. And also in the second half of this year, the live music scene definitely seems to be picking up because the phones are ringing and the emails are coming in. So that's another very, very positive sign for all of the musicians who've really struggled and the venues, of course, but generally for all of us, you know, I think we can be a bit positive about the future now. Yeah, good stuff. Now, you've also signed up for the second series of Adventure All-Stars, an exciting experience, uh, all for a great cause. Uh, for those not familiar, just explain how this show works. Well, the show is um, based around a half a dozen or so, uh, just Australian people. And on this occasion, it involves me. And you have to raise a certain amount of money uh, for a cause of your choosing. Uh, $10,000 you have to raise. And then you can be part of this show. And uh, what it does is it raises money, obviously, but it raises awareness. And my chosen charity is Myeloma Australia. Myeloma is a, an incurable blood cancer. It affects uh, about 18,000 people, 18,000 Aussies, with an additional 38 people being diagnosed each week. But it's one of those cancers that flies a bit beneath the radar. It doesn't have the high profile of some of the other causes. Uh, it gets no government support. So I'm trying to do my bit, along with all of the other participants in this show, to raise awareness and, and money. So I, I got involved because a good mate of mine and a fellow to be familiar to most of you, you guys and the viewers, Jim Keyes from the Master's Apprentices, he passed away in 2014 from myeloma, which was the first time I'd heard of the disease. And of course, as you know, I lost my first wife, Melba, in 1997 to another form of blood cancer. So I decided uh, when they approached me that I definitely wanted to help in, in do something, do whatever I could to raise awareness and uh, and to raise some much-needed funds. Oh, I can see why you want to do that, Frankie. That's obviously very, very close to your heart. You say you've got to raise 10 grand. How much have you raised so far and how can people help? I think I'm up around the $7,000 uh, mark at the moment. And uh, the way people can help is I think you're going to put a link up. Yes. Oh, there I am. There I am. Well, uh, I'm nearly, I've got to do it by June, so uh, there's okay. a little way to go, but I, I need all the help. And, of course, $10,000 is the minimum, so if I can get any more than that, that would be wonderful. Yeah, of course. And uh, I, I, you can do it through Myeloma Australia. You can go onto their website and find a link uh, to the fundraising, and you can either support me or any, uh, any one of the other participants. Good and stuff. I think you're going to put a link up to yep. my fundraising, I hope so. And I'm just going to say an exclusive offer. For anyone who donates $50 or over to my uh, fundraising for this cause, you get a free Frankie J. Holden and Wilbur Wilde CD. <laughs> Love it. You're Love such it. a showman. <laughs> Love it. That's great. Hey, hey mate, just, just before we go, because we are running out of time, that's a great offer. Thank you for that. We hope Morning Show viewers will jump on board and help you. We can't look at all those old rock and roll music videos without asking you about uh, Michael Gadinsky. Uh, did you, yes. you, you would have had a bit to do with him over the years? Well, Michael, uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, Old 55 was sort of the second big act um, on Mushroom Records after oh, Skyhook. Right. So it was Skyhooks really got them going, and then Old 55 came along and kicked them along even further. So I, I knew Michael since we were 23. We're the same age. Again, it's a sobering thought. Uh, so I've been involved with him for, in many, many projects over many, many years. And not only is the music industry going to miss him, but Melbourne is going to miss him as well. He was yeah. a huge Melbourne through all the various things he did and, and as we've known anytime anybody needed a hand 
Gadinsky always got involved and then got the rest of the industry involved just through his sheer energy and personality and an old-fashioned word called Schutzbar, which yeah. uh, translates to means, if I can, he had balls. Yes, you can. Absolutely. Great oh, words, and he'll be on in that state funeral where, where everyone will get to pay their respects. Great talking to you, Frankie. Uh, we're okay. gonna, I mean, to find out more about how you can support Frankie J Holden's fundraising efforts for Myeloma Australia, you can head to our website. We'll point you in the right direction. Well, Caroline Stanbury is the stylist turned reality TV star who found global fame thanks to hit UK show Ladies of London. After three seasons, the British native set her sights on Dubai, rising to prominence as a luxury brand ambassador. Oh, I like the sound of that. As a consultant, Caroline has worked with some of the world's most prestigious companies and has featured in numerous TV shows, including Million Dollar Listing. And now, after announcing the end of her marriage just over a year ago, Caroline is inspiring fans to live their best life, even in the face of adversity, uh, adversity with a hit new podcast, Divorced Not dead. Caroline joins us now live from Dubai. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. <laughs> what is it, 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the morning or something there? It's 3 a.m. <laughs> oh, thank you for doing this for You're us. Such a trooper. Now, the job description is luxury brand ambassador. Sounds amazing, but it's so much more than that. Uh, talk us through the work that you actually do. Well, it's re it is, it is um, as fun as that. I get to sort of travel the world on behalf of all these amazing brands, but like, you know, I suppose during COVID and things like this, when I was traveling for, say, Apple Group, right, which is the number one hotel group in the world, if you weren't traveling and showing people that these places are still available and showing people how easy it was for me to get there and safe it still was, then there would be no choice to, um, later for people to be able to get there. These hotels need tourism to survive. These airlines need you to, you know, get on the plane. So I think, it, you know, there are some bits that are frivolous and there's some bits that actually really serve a purpose. Um, and, uh, you know, say, uh, working with all these businesses and keeping them in the forefront at times like this. It sounds like you've had to defend, though, that position during COVID a little bit, that you might have copped some criticism. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, but, you know, again, you, you're looking at like small islands and places that really were suffering. They were so happy to see us so that the people could see that honestly it was safe to get there yeah. and that actually being on an island somewhere was, is one of the most safe places you could be right now. Yeah. Now, you've worked alongside some really big names. We're talking Sarah Ferguson, Duchess of York, uh, to your bestie Paris Hilton. Right? How did you find yourself working with these different A-listers along the way? Um, well, uh, the Duchess of York, I had a charity with Ben Stiller, Susan Sharandon, Madeleine Stowe. Um, so that's how, and I brought the Duchess in. She's, I've known her since I was very, very young. And then Paris Hilton, I've known since we were sort of 16 years old as well. So when I said, let's do a car rally across Europe, she's like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Great fun. Now, fans are going to recognise you for your time on the reality TV show. That was, of course, Ladies of London. Uh, your viewers saw you were fiercely independent and you were successful outside of your marriage. I mean, was it important for you to establish yourself that way, Caroline? It's really important to me. And I think, you know, I always say to women, you know, it doesn't matter if you marry a billionaire. It's not your money, is it? Um, and nothing comes with a guarantee. So, uh, and I think this, the saddest part for anyone that I see, it doesn't matter how much you're earning, it's not, it's not knowing that having the capacity to earn or know how to, because that, that takes your freedom. It means you actually are stuck in that marriage regardless. 
So just over a year ago, speaking about marriages, you announced your, the split from your financier husband. Now, instead of diving into a, a pit of despair, you turned it into a positive and, uh, and a podcast. Not a positive and a podcast. Tell us about Divorced Not Dead. Tell us all about it. Well, I mean, first of all, I just think after 18 years of marriage, I, I was sick to death of people going, I'm so sorry. There's nothing to feel sorry about. I have three beautiful children. We had a great marriage and we're still really good friends. My kids are there tonight. You know, I was doing, I was still washing his clothes till about three months ago. Um, so, uh, and we live across the road. So I did a podcast, which was just like, people kept asking me, how do you do it? How do you do the transition? And then, you know, I met a you know, gorgeous boyfriend and everyone was like, everyone comes out with a negative. Well, he's too young. You're never going to, it's never going to work. It can't, it can't. And I, I sort of, he's still here. So I decided to do a podcast about everything and anything um, to do with this. And it all comes down with positive attitude. Who, who on earth wants to date any woman, single, with, with or without children? It's not to do with how many children you've got. It's your positive outlook on life. If you're, you know, constantly miserable, why would you want to live with that? Okay, that's, that's an interesting take. But I guess if if you're the one who's been wrong done by and it wasn't your decision, I guess it, you know, it can be sad for you if you're the. It is. Sad. Yeah. It's sad for anyone in end of marriage. But you can't take on a victim mode. You know, you either have to get back up because the only person that's going to not um, benefit from that, sadly, is you. So it's trying to teach you that. There is life after it. If you've been left and it's not your choice, you know, it's a terrible thing. And I've seen people go through it. For, for, but you need to switch, flip a switch in your head and somehow bring yourself out of it. Because wallowing in it, sadly, won't bring your ex-husband back. Wow. And it doesn't change anything. You just lose your time, not his. Okay. Well, it, sounds, it sounds like there's some tough love in the podcast. And I'm sure... Uh, fascinating for people who want to tune in thank you so much caroline stanbury joining us from Thanks, dubai th this morning well yeah this is actually morning her time too 3 a.m yeah, yeah. Uh, you can check out caroline's podcast it's called divorce not dead uh, on most podcast platforms now uh, she might be married to one of the world's greatest footy players, but Zoe marshall has been kicking career goals all of her own tv radio podcasts and now a second baby on the way. It's safe to say the 36-year-old is busier than ever. Just last week, Zoe and her hubby, Benji, organised a gender reveal party with a twist. Despite <laughs> baby number two due to arrive in just a few short months, Zoe has taken on a new project, raising awareness around the important work of volunteering. And we welcome Zoe Marshall to the studio. So lovely Hi. to see you. Hi. Congratulations on the bub. I know, it's wild. A, a yumcha, a dumpling gender reveal. Well, I'm, I was so hungry in the first trimester that I was like, if we're going to do this and share with a couple of our friends, let's eat at the same time. So <laughs> wonderful restaurant dyed the dumplings pink. And that's how we found out. This is terrific. How are you and Benji feeling about welcoming a daughter into the uh, family? So he was desperate for a girl with Fox, desperate to have a little baby girl, that now he's just, like, so chuffed. And I think because Ben, uh, Fox and I have a really deep bond, he sometimes feels left out. So this is... He's hoping is his little mate. Oh, he's having that's a little bit great. of daddy's little girl. Yes. So Fox is your little boy. Have you got a name picked out for your little girl yet? Can I just tell you how hard it is to decide together? I've got lots of fantastic, unique names, and Benji's just like... That is ridiculous. You cannot name a person that. <laughs> What's one of the names that he thinks is ridiculous? Peaches. 
He's right. You <laughs> the Geldofs have a peaches, don't yes, they? I think that was the first and last peach ever. Yeah, it just can't it. be. You just can't have caught hound because you can't have fox and hound. No, oh my god, that would be so cute. Because that's the name of Larry's favourite magazine, isn't it? Horse and hound, I think. Horse and is, hound. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Do not, not call too, your child Maybe not two animals. <laughs> maybe not two <laughs> I think Carly's ones is more fox and hound thing. Uh, now, Benji travels a lot for his job as NRL megastar. Yeah. Now, here's the issue. Might be some problems with the calendar coming up. I'm, you know what? I'm really glad you brought this up, and I hope you're watching, Benji, because I did text him over the weekend when he was away for the third time in three weeks. So he's left me for two and a half weeks in yeah. three weeks. And I said, you're going to have to tell Wayne, unfortunately, you won't be doing any more away games. So Yeah, and, and how'd that go how'd down? That go? I don't know if he passed the message on yet, so <laughs> we'll just see. It's really hard. <laughs> Maybe he can let Wayne know with a dumpling. <laughs> like a, yeah. a surprise. Here's a message. Or the, or the fortune cookie at the end, Yes, Wayne. in the fortune yeah. cookie. Yes. It'd be like, nice, sweet treat. Um, okay, you say it's hard. How's it hard at the moment for you, Sarah? Um, I think this pregnancy is really tough. Um, I With Fox, I had a lot more energy. This girl is like... I'm incredibly sick, I'm incredibly tired, and having a three-year-old and some other commitments, it's a lot. And I rely on him because he is a really hands-on father. I mean, mm. he gets Fox up in the morning, gives me a little sleep. As soon as he gets home from training, he's on three to seven. He yeah. takes over. So when yeah. he's gone, it's a big, it's we'll a big it. void. <laughs> It's a big responsibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's sitting back loving this, by the way. Yeah, he like, is. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and how's Fox feeling about being a big bro? He, he gets it. It was his birthday party yesterday, and I gave him a baby doll, a little girl baby doll, so he can start practising, because he's really excited yeah. to feed her wheat bix and put her in his bed and do all of those things. So he's ready. Was it a Barbie? Because Barbies are so hot right now. Oh, Barbies are so hot, COVID Barbie. No, it was a, like a really little baby. Baby. Oh, baby, yeah. baby. Now, you've teamed up with the Salvo stores for a really important reason. Yeah. What's I, that? So I speak in taking a lot on. This is another <laughs> one of your passion projects. Yeah, I, I love the Salvos. When I left um, a DV relationship, it was the first place I went for furniture. And I remember getting a repurposed um, dressing table and sanding it back and, and coating it and knowing that all of those proceeds then went back to potentially other women that were in crisis situations. So when the salvos, this opportunity came up, I was like, absolutely. And what I learned through working with them is they get in one store 10 tonnes of goods dropped off a day in one store. Really? And so much stuff, which shows that we are over-consuming. And they get um, donations too, but what they need is physical uh, volunteers, like to put their to hand up through. and to sort through or to, they've got people that have been, um, you know, high flying business people that have been kind of grounded from COVID and put their hand up to That's be great. of service. Mm. And where what we're saying is, please, please, if you have any capacity to give back, give your time. That's a great thing for you to help raise awareness about. And something else that you're very passionate about is endometriosis and raising awareness of that. Yeah. Uh, March is... Um, Endo is, month. It, endo month, right? Yeah. Now, if someone's struggling with this home, what's your advice oh, to God. them? Oh, God. It's a big one. It's, I, that's like, how long is a piece of string? Mm. Um, it's hard to give a diagnosis unless you go in internally. Um, I was, I'm going to do an episode, actually, on my podcast about it with this woman that had 16 surgeries already, wow. and it's still there. So it's a hard one to answer, Larry, but I think mm. um, early detection, not thinking it's 
just a bad period or it's normal. These are women that are debilitated. Mm. You know, I know working in radio, hemorrhaging through and having to just keep the show going on because this right. is just what happens with endometriosis. So being pregnant, thank God, sorry, Larry, but no period, you know, and I don't have to deal while breastfeeding as well. So I have to look at that in a year or so when things start to change. It's a tough one. But also the message of hope, because here you yeah. are sitting pregnant. Mm. And I was told suffering. I would never have a baby. Yeah. And I think that that's a really tricky thing to tell a woman that has endometriosis and also not helpful because there's many of us that have conceived. And plenty yeah. of good resources around for women yes. at the moment too. On that. So okay. many. Lovely to see you. Good luck. Thank, Thank you. you. I need it. See, Thank you, see you for dumplings one time. <laughs> yes. Okay. For more information about Salvo stores and how to get involved, just head across to the Morning Show website. Well, today we're kicking off a brand new series called The Why File. See? Why? We're going to look at the what and the why of your anatomy. Yes, we are. And we've roped in the experts to demystify the most bizarre and mind-boggling bodily functions. Up first, why do we cry? Uh, do you know we make 113 litres of tears every year? What's that, about 30 gallons? 113 litres every oh year. God. In fact, the human eye can produce more than half a cup of tears in minutes. But what's going on in our brains when we start to sob? And does a good old cry actually make us feel better? That's incredible. We welcome biomedical scientist Dr Darren Saunders back to the couch. Good to see you, mate. Morning. Uh, what's the purpose of this salty water seeping out of our eyes and making our eye makeup run all the time? That's one of those things we don't really think about. It's not just salty water. There's a whole bunch of enzymes and there's fats and oils and things in there. It's a really complex mixture of chemicals. And if we didn't cry, if we didn't make tears, we wouldn't be able to see anything for a start. And mm. it's also really important for... You know, if we get dust or something in our eye to flush that away. But the thing we're most talking about here is crying as a, a sort of emotional or psychological yeah. response. And he said, Kylie said 115 litres a year. I don't yeah. think I cry that much. I mean, that one episode of Bridgerton, I must admit, I let that puppies fly. But uh, that's, that's a lot. lot. It is a lot, isn't it? And it when is. we say stuff together, that's a double lot. That's right. And we don't really know exactly why we do that as a response to emotion. Um, but we think, one of the things we think it is, is a sort of evolutionary thing that we've built up to show people that we're feeling a particular way. It's a sort of social signal so that people will come and help us and make us feel better. We're told tears contain a natural painkiller. So is this where having a good old cry makes you feel better? Is, yeah. is that true? This is a little bit controversial in the science. So there's some really good evidence that when we cry, we release endorphins, those sort of feel-good hormones that, that are associated with lots of things that make us feel good. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people talk about feeling a lot better after they've had a cry. It's kind of like a self-soothing kind of behaviour. Some people can cry and cue. We see actors doing that all of the time. Is it as easy of, as, as, about thinking something really, really sad or something like that? How do you do that? That's one of those things that fascinates me about acting. I don't know how they do it. Well, yeah. Reading up on how they do it, apparently the, the thing is to access your sadness, this underlying sadness that we can all think about something sad and then suppress all of the things that we normally put in place to stop us from crying when that happens. Or put pepper spray in your eyes. <laughs> well, yeah, that works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on the flip side, some people don't cry. They're unable to cry. Do they just need a good old drink? Are they dehydrated? What's... There's lots of reasons why we can't cry. There's a thing called dry eye syndrome, which is quite a significant problem for lots of people. Um, ageing will reduce the amount of tears we make. And then there's things like psychological trauma, some drugs, some very powerful drugs can stop us from producing tears. So there's a whole bunch of reasons why we might not cry. Okay. Is it a myth that women cry more than men? It's not. In Western countries like Australia, women are thought to cry about four or five times more often than men. Okay. Is that why? Why do we think Why? That? We think it's a conditioning, a psychological conditioning thing. So young boys in Western countries are taught to sort of man up and not cry, and we think that's part of it. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's 
changing though, isn't it? Is it is changing, and if you yeah. look in non-Western countries, that difference disappears, yeah, which yeah. is wow. interesting. Um, now, yeah. according to a study published in the journal Science, crying discourages men from feeling sexually aroused. I love experiments it, like this. Do you? <laughs> yes. Okay. So uh, you can't tell, cry? So... No, they did an experiment. They got women to watch sad movies. They took their tears and they put them on little pads and made men sniff them. And they could measure drops in testosterone. They could measure drops in the brain activity associated with arousal. Um, all sorts of things that signalled that the men weren't feeling as sexually aroused because they had seen women crying or, or sensed women crying. But seeing a woman cry is different to someone putting a tissue under your nose <laughs> yeah. full of women's yeah, tears. Yeah, that's right. But it says there's a chemical in the tears. Yeah, it is. Oh, it's very it is different. There's a chemical oh. in the tears. That's interesting. They didn't do the, op they did you, the opposite experiment. They never asked men to cry to see what it did to women, which I found interesting as well. Oh, that, that would be a turn, turn on. Turn on. <laughs> what? We Wouldn't it? No, well, see, the women in the, <laughs> the, women in the <laughs> no, 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 one woman, not every <laughs> woman, just one woman. Caitlin's with me. Someone's out of themselves there. So they, they were, they were, they were, men sorry. cry. Oh. So you so a man, a man cried in front of you when you were dating back at, in the day, and your testosterone levels would go through the roof. <laughs> I don't have testosterone. Well, I don't. Oh, you don't. Well, we're getting into, out of science here. Yeah, this yeah, is uh, way out of my uh, comfort zone. Yeah, now, now it's personal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another. Let's get back to the study. Let's get back to the science, shall we? Another study found it's totally normal to cry after sex. Yeah. Is this both sex? Both yeah, apparently 50% uh, after 50% of people report crying after sex and they don't really know why. They think it might why? be, I, it I might be a flood of hormones. 25% of those would know why. I can think of lots of reasons. Yeah. It could be a flood of hormones associated with having sex. It could also be that release of... <laughs> <laughs> what a set up this question anyway. Yeah. Um, it could be that release of emotional tension, you know, and suppression of things that we really feel. It could be just total disappointment. <laughs> One thing we know for sure is if you cry immediately after sex, it's not happening again because that's a turn off. Well, so that's the to the men the anyway. Yeah, but right. To the women, maybe it's a not. Vicious circle. Mm. Isn't There's it? an experiment. Mm. Wow, this is crazy science. <laughs> we go um, deep here. Good to talk to you. We think. Yeah. That was the Y Files with Dr. Taron. Thank you. That's fascinating. 2021 is looking up for Hugh Sheridan, a new bow, a new show and a new movie are set to keep him busy for the year. Do you like that, Hugh? On top of that, he's making a return to the small screen in Pact to the Rafters. First, however, the singer, dancer and actor and pyjama model, we'll get to that, is hitting the DJ decks in his latest production, Hugh Man, as part of the Adelaide Fringe Festival. The toe-tap and roof-raising production is being called a sensory spectacular. The man himself... Joins us live. First things first, welcome to the show. Secondly, thank you. Talk us through the outfit. Uh, I'm wearing Camilla. <laughs> I think it's. And, uh, oh. you have, as you can see. Do you have to sit like that when you wear it? I feel like I should. Um, but, Camilla, can I tell you, the last person that did that on the couch was Courtney Act and it went bad. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, I'll, I'll keep my legs crossed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's fabulous. Tell us, tell us about the show. It's well, Camilla, Camilla's actually very kindly designed all the costumes for the incredible dancers of humans. So I don't even know why I didn't think of this earlier or that no one has, but it's a show, I think after last year and, and so much happening, I just wanted to do something that would make everyone feel amazing. Yeah. And Human is a show 
that, uh, as you can see, there's tap dancers, I DJ, I put together a, a set list of everyone's favourite songs. I just went around saying, what's your favourite feel-good song? I even play, it sounds a bit weird, but it works, affirmations actually start to play over the top of, like, Michael Jackson and David Guetta and all this stuff as the show goes on. And um, Like what? Like, you're beautiful. I sing. Well, <laughs> it's about, they're sort of affirmations about being in the moment and trying to, trying to connect with what's happening right now so that people can actually just be present and enjoy the show and we've got a light show the show happens quite late mm -hmm. so it's basically to just get everyone's senses and lift the vibration so that people just feel great it sounds like that one time kylie and i checked into a cult it was <laughs> admittedly it was only the information night but it was like that look if humans <laughs> are cult i want in okay? <laughs> i've had so much fun doing a show it does look life. like a heap of it's fun you look brilliant. like you're in your element let's get serious for a while if headlines are to be believed on the dating scene you've uh, dated everyone from delta good to your good mate Rebel Wilson. We understand <laughs> there is a, a new guy on the scene. How's it all going? How's it's it working? Been out? Fine. <laughs> it's been fine. <laughs> it's been fine. It's just so fun. I'm just laughing because I did obviously I wrote an essay last year to say, you know, this is who I am, but it's it's just funny because I've never been on a show where people ask me, but you know, I mean they have, you have. But is it okay, okay, so stuff, step but, back to the essay and where yeah. we've come from there. Is it okay? for us to sit on this show and ask you about that. Well, you now. may as are well. You because, no, are you comfortable with that now? Well, I think I always intended to keep my private life private, but I think when you do open up, then I've said that it's okay. So mm. you can, and he's lovely. He's very kind, and it's nice. And I think it's, it's weird because I probably wouldn't have said anything, but um, someone papped us at the beach, um, which is pretty good. They got some pretty good photos. I hope they got paid well for it. Um, and I saw this photographer on the beach and I was like, do you think that's a paparazzi photographer? My friends were like, oh, yeah, you're so famous. Like, right, as right. if. <laughs> and then about four hours later, there's these shocking photos of us uh, making it. And it was intimate, right? It was an intimate <clears throat> It was an intimate moment yeah. on a packed beach, which... <laughs> as you do. Like, so, it was brief. I mean, they must have been so fast. But anyway, so who cares? Yeah, I'm dating someone. It's great. So were you... Um, really nervous then or what was, or you sort of at a place now where you can go oh you know I just got patched and that's cool the weirdest thing was I was totally fine by it and I sort of was just like that's great because now I don't need to well I was just more concerned about whether Kurt cared I was yeah. like because he works in a bank so I was like is, are you going to lose your job? <laughs> I, I tell you who would have cared would have been Delta. She would have been spewing. She would have been devastated. <laughs> devastated. She hasn't called me, so I'm guessing <laughs> she is. Oh, it's off. It's, don't yeah, you hate yeah. it when you find out about things like that in the press? Right? I know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now, one thing we haven't noticed about you is... Uh, how shy you? You are shy. I. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, I'm, now I'm, we're going to talk about the, the Men's Health magazine. Uh, it was meant to be a twelve-week challenge, but it ended yeah. being something like a sixty-two-week challenge. Is that right? Due yeah. To COVID, I'm so. still. I'm still challenged by. Still it. challenged. Yeah. Uh, incredible stuff, mate. Uh, oh, great you. stuff. How, is still He's training? Or well, you did it as well, didn't you? Not quite like. Not that, quite like not that. Like, well, like, then you know how hellish it is. But um, it was particularly difficult because obviously COVID happened and. Uh, I just had to do a lot of it on my own. But I think that that sort of gave me something to focus on, you know. And the most frustrating thing was everyone just started eating chocolate and binging on TV. Day drinking. Yeah, and, yeah. and day drinking. And I had to sort of get out and sort of train by myself. I couldn't even go to the gym or see a trainer. So Great results. But it was, it, was, it was good. I loved the experience. So I'm glad that everyone can see it now. Well, so. hard work paid off for sure. Yeah. Um, people are hotly anticipating the Back to the Rafters 
Yeah. Re, like, what can you the tell The reboot, I guess. Reboot? Rebirth? Yeah. What can you tell us? The rebirth. Rebirth. <laughs> <laughs> it's the reboot what, of the rebirth. What news yeah. can we squeeze out of you? Um, oh, look, I think everyone that loves Rafters is just going to love the show just as much as you did before. It's, it's still the same beautiful show that it always was. It's very... I think because we have less episodes... Um, you know, we it, there's maybe slightly less drama for this first series, but that sort of remnants of the first series that we had. So I think people want that. I think people really want to see something wholesome and beautiful and a reunion of a beautiful family. But it's, you know. And have you spoke to the styling team about how you want to look, what you want to wear this series? Yeah, well, yeah, I yeah. mean, naturally Ben would, because de- Ben's into singing and dancing. This is and, it. Uh, you know, Beautiful. Do we need a close-up of his chest? Who's <laughs> 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 his camera it too? Looks, that's good. Cool. It looks so uh, Hugh, we're so excited for your show. It's called <laughs> Human and is this, it's basically a celebration of what makes you you, right? It's, it's everything that you it's love. It's a celebration of all humans and um, obviously it's a play on words because I'm you know, DJ now, so I'm DJ human, but it's... What <laughs> up? You dare. <laughs> so it is mean. playing at the Adelaide Fringe Festival That's and right. Adelaide's just going gangbusters. They've really embraced It this. opens on Friday and the Adelaide Fringe Festival is the biggest festival in Australia. It's the second biggest festival in the world after Edinburgh and this year it's the biggest festival in the world. There's going to be no other festival like it. It's great stuff. There's so much good stuff. Your show looks fantastic. Get down Have a lot there. of fun. Lots of positivity. Thank you for coming Thank in. you so much for you. having me. She was named one of Australia's 100 Women of Influence. Author, speaker and accidental activist Dr Kirsten Ferguson is famous for creating the hashtag Celebrating Women. Her social media campaign empowered females everywhere and now she's looking forward to doing it once again. With virtual International Women's Day events happening right across Australia, this leadership powerhouse is set to inspire while addressing equality in a COVID-19 world. And Dr. Kirsten Ferguson joins us live from the Sunshine Coast this morning. Uh, Welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, Let's go back to your 2017 social media campaign, which was hashtag celebrating women. What was it that that fueled your desire to start it? Well, you know, like many women, I was fed up. Uh, I was sick of seeing online denigration of women online and I wanted to make my news feed just that bit more positive. And I've always believed that every single woman is a role model to someone else. And so I made a commitment to see if I could celebrate two women every single day from all walks of life and all over the world. And by the end of the year, celebrated 757 women from 37 countries. Uh, We love that message from your book and it's just one of them. There are so many womankind. Every woman is a role model, as you just said. We need you to expand on that a little bit. Yeah, well, I think we're all leaders. So it doesn't matter what your formal title might be, whether you're leading your family, you might be leading a small business that you're running out of your kitchen, you might be a leader in your community, you're leading a big business, or you might be leading the country. We all have an impact on those around us with our decisions and our words and our actions. And we're all role models to someone else, whether we realise it or not. And I think remembering that leadership is a craft, there's an art to it. It's not something you learn once and set and forget and I think all of us can think about the impact that we're having and remember the difference that we can make in others' lives. Always evolving, right? Yeah, you have a PhD in leadership and culture. Uh, So more than equipped to speak to the theme of women in leadership, achieving an equal future in a COVID-19 world. That's a mouthful. (laughs) But what can you... 
briefly tell us about your talk at the International Women's Day event, Kirsten. Well, it's been quite a week, as you can imagine, for women in Australia. And so some of the things I thought I might talk about, I, I'm uh, rapidly rewriting my speech for tomorrow. But the message will be the same, and it's really reminding women that we are leaders, that we need to see many, many more women in formal leadership roles, and we can reimagine how the discussions this week might have been different if we'd had gender equality even at our most highest levels. But we listened to women like Grace Tame yesterday at the National Press Club and you cannot help but realise leadership is absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Hey, you're a mum of two daughters, so this is really very, very close to your heart. What kind of future do you anticipate or do you want for them? I am a mum of two daughters, but it shouldn't matter whether or not I have children, obviously. So for all children of the world, what I want for them, men and women, is for them to have a safe uh, society where they can go to work and not be harassed or where they can walk home from a nightclub and not be attacked. And I want them to be able to thrive because we all thrive if women thrive. So I want everyone to be able to achieve what it is they want to achieve. It's a terrific, it's a terrific really message uh, and glad to hear it. So happy to announce that Channel 7, the 7 Network, has partnered with UN Women for International Women's Day. Uh, so I encourage everyone to get involved. It is a great message. Thank you so much, Kirsten. Uh, Thank for you. For details about all the virtual events, you can head to our website. Great to talk to you today, Kirsten. Boom shakalaka, you know we love a rock star here, Carl's right, even a pint-sized one. But our next guest isn't shredding guitars, he's wailing with mm. words. 11-year-old <laughs> Akash Fakoti is already a linguistic legend who entered his first spelling competition at the tender age of two. Now, if that's not impressive enough, he was also admitted to Mensa at age three. <laughs> Akash's love of language has made him a household name in the United States. But now he's on a mission to help Australian kids master the art of spelling. And Akash joins us from his home in San Angelo, Texas. Uh, good morning. First things first, we know parts of Texas were suffering through a huge cold snap recently. Uh, how are the temperatures now, Akash? <laughs> first of all, good day, my little friend Larry, and hello, my new friend Kylie. And good day, Australia. <laughs> Gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all so much for having me on the morning show twice. It's such, uh, I am very thankful for the great opportunity. Now, with the Texas power outage situation, there was a huge polar vortex or polar blast that, that swept the entire state of Texas. You can see the video right here. Yeah. And it Whoa, it was really terrible. We were out of power for three days straight, and so were four million fellow Texans. Thankfully, now the power, the heat, water, and the roads have all been finally restored to normalcy. The temperatures are back to normal. All right. Yeah. Move over, Sam Mack, our weatherman. <laughs> hey, Akash, we've got to ask you, we've got to talk about the spelling. Do you find it easy, or is it complicated for you, or are you just it's just a breeze for you? Well, as for the words, to be fair, it kind of varies the difficulty of the words. But for the most part, when you're at the U.S. Scripps National Spelling Bee, the words get very tough. So it's incredibly important to be focused, very focused. 
and to grasp the grasp to get a hold on each and every word that you get the Yes, you're not just a star in the spelling word uh, world. Uh, you've also been on a lot of TV shows. There's Little Big Shots, Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, your last appearance here on the morning show has been viewed nearly a million times wow. online. Uh, what does your 11-year-old life look like? Whoa. Wow, that is incredible. First of all, again, thank you all so much for having me on a second time. Last time it was so much fun with Larry and Sally, and I know this time it's going to be so much better because we have Kylie with us now. <laughs> oh, as, as thank you, my... thank you. Now, it, it, it might technically be considered English, but down here in Australia, we have our own slang, right? We, we, we're going to put you to the test with our very own spelling bee, and that's uh, B with a silent right. Q. We, uh, we're going to give you a local colloquialism uh, to see if you can spell it. You need us, uh, you've got to need us to put these in a sentence. Um, let us know. Here's an easy one to start with. Can you spell straya? Straya. All right. Based off of what I can tell, I think this has to do with Australia. That's right. The... Oh, okay. So what does it mean exactly? So it means Australia, but when you're too lazy to say the whole word, you just say Australia. Australia. <laughs> All right, so Australia. Can you, can we put it in a sentence? Yes, yes, yes. I'd like to say the word Australia, but I'm too lazy, so I'm just going to say Australia. <laughs> I love these sentences. Okay. Right. Okay. Straya. S T R A Y A. Yes. yes. You got the hang of this. You're good at it. Yes, you're good at this. Your next word is Arvo, and I'm going to use it in a sentence. Yeah. I'm going right. to go and see my mother tomorrow, Arvo. Short for afternoon. Arvo. Arvo. What does Arvo mean? Short for afternoon. Afternoon. Mm. So instead of saying, I'm having a good afternoon, you'll say, I'm having a garvo or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes, yes. I'll see you tomorrow, Arvo. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Arvo. A-R-V-O. Yes, yes. That's great. That's great. And then you can say I'm having a great Arvo here in Australia. Now, you're actually here to announce... You're here to announce the Prime Minister's spelling bee. This is a really important announcement. It's a great opportunity, isn't it, for Australian kids to get involved. What do they need to know? So, the Prime Minister's spelling bee, it is a free online competition for kids from three levels, green, orange, and red, from years three over to years eight. Now, preparing for these spelling bee competitions will empower kids with the knowledge base and vocabulary too. And it can even equip kids with better chances of getting a good job and having a great career. Moreover, language is the means to communicate with each other. And spelling is a very important tool that we use to read and write the English language. And spelling is fun. And you even get a chance to meet Prime Minister Scott Morrison in Tour Parliament House in Canberra if you win. What a great opportunity. Now, some of you may know that here in America, we don't 
have the we haven't had spelling bee champions haven't had the opportunity to meet the head of our country for the past four years. So you Aussies are lucky and I envy you. Oh, fantastic. That was such a great opportunity. I truly commend Kids News and News Corp for their work. So when News Corp contacted us regarding the bee, I jumped right into the campaign because it's such a great opportunity for all of the Australian kids. I love this. Way to go, Australia. Way to go. Wow. Joe Biden's on the phone for you, wants you to join up on the campaign trail. It's <laughs> so lovely to see you, and we'll make sure that we put all the details about how to register for the Australian Spelling Bee. It is the Prime Minister's Spelling Bee, and we're going to put that up on the Morning Show website, themorningshow.com.au. Lovely chatting to you, Akash. Thank you bye. so much. Thanks. Uh, so, by the way, um, if you don't mind, I have a quick surprise for you. Oh, yeah. We're nearly out of time. Yep, go for it. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, as you've been attacking me with these Australian slang words, if, with your very kind permission, I'm going to quickly attack you with American slang words, which I have learned from my mentor, guru, Mr. Steve Harvey. So, let's do it really quick. First word is for Kylie, because you are my newest friend. You're going first. And your word is e-lobe. E-lobe? What? No, the word is e I can give you a sentence if you yes, want, yes, actually. Yes, please. Yes. See, you might know the spelling of the word e-know. It means to not even know. Oh, e-know. Like e-n... Hang on. E... <laughs> Sorry. E-k-n-o-w? Correct. 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 That was so much pressure. That's so much pressure. All right, Akash, we are right out of time, unfortunately, but it's been great talking to you today. Thank you so much, all the way from Australia. Have a great Arvo. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me on the morning show. It's really a great opportunity, and I truly appreciate it. Thank you both, Larry and Kylie. Great to see you. You got off lightly. Oh, didn't I? (laughs) Oh, we're out of time. Even, even I know I got off Eno lightly. <laughs> Cash, thank you. Great fun, isn't it? Oh, God, that was very stressful. Well, Hollywood has a habit of rebooting some of our favourite franchises, regardless uh, if we ask for it or not. For example, Ghostbusters, missed the mark. The dirty dancing uh, probably should have stayed in the corner, right? Well, now The Wizard of Oz is set to get the remake treatment. But will our next trip down the yellow brick road be as iconic as the first time? Or will we be clicking our heels three times, wanting out? Uh, to find out, we're joined by Wizard of Oz superfan Walter Kruger live from Chicago. Uh, good to see you, Walter. We've got some a bit laggy on the technicalities there, but we're going to go forward with the interview anyway because we love this so much. It's big news out of Hollywood. We're going back to Oz in a new movie, but you might have an inside scoop for us. What can you tell us? Well, the new movie is all going to be about basically the book, the original book. It's not going to be a remake of the Judy Garland film, but rather about the actual story that Al Frank Baum wrote in 1900, which is going to be a fresh new look that we've never seen before. Because what we had in 1939 with Judy Garland was a Hollywood version that was romanticized in, in a 1930s way. So this new movie is kind of a new envisionment, more true to the original text that was written in 1900. Wow, that does sound fascinating. What about Dorothy? Would you expect a big name to sign on to play the role of Dorothy? 
Personally, I think something like that involves having maybe an unknown. I think an unknown being cast in such a big role is such a great opportunity for somebody. And I feel that that is something that we should look at maybe when casting as somebody with true talent that maybe not be a big name. Okay. Hey, we got to take a look around your incredible collection. Have you got any props from like the original movie there? Oh, I do. I actually do have a couple of props from the original film. I have a coat that was worn in the Emerald City. I have a spear that was used at the witch's castle. I have a couple of things. Wow. And what about the slippers you're holding? What are they? These slippers that I'm holding here are actually a commemorative pair made by Western Costume Company in 1989 for the film's 50th anniversary. They were limited edition to only a few hundred pair in existence, and I absolutely love them. They're one of my favorite things I have in my collection. Uh, and when you're not holding them up for Australian TV shows, where do, uh, what, what happens with those shoes? You look, they look very precious to you. Well, these shoes were a gift given to me by my mother, who means so much to me. She's no longer with us, so having something like that is a great testament to that she believed in my dream. Oh. So when I'm not holding them and sharing them with everyone, I keep them in a case where they're safe. Yeah, what a great mum. Your collection is estimated to be worth around a million US dollars. Is that right? It's like 1.3 million Australian. Are you still adding to it to this day, Walter? I add to my collection every single day just because I feel that my dream and what I want to create is a legacy that I can be very proud of. And to do that, um, it involves adding to it all the time, yes. <laughs> is there a piece, is there some piece of memorabilia floating out there in the world that you know about that you're dying to get your hands on? Actually, I would say that the greatest piece that I could ever get at this point in my collecting would be my museum so that I could share this with everybody. That's, I just, it's my dream. And I think um, the Wizard of Oz teaches us to chase down our dreams and follow that yellow brick road. So I think if any, I could ever get assistance in making my dream come true by getting my museum, that would be the greatest gift of all. Oh, and apart from the slippers, Walter, what's, what are some of your other prized uh, items? Um, I would say probably the original costumes that I spoke of earlier. Um, original dolls from when the movie was promoted in 1939. I have really old dolls wow. of Judy Garland then. Um, they're really neat. I think you don't see those a whole lot. So, yeah. Gorgeous. Okay. Uh, Walter, lovely to see you this morning. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. And we can't wait to see the, the new movie get up, right? Yeah. Same. Oh, yeah. Yes, I can't, yeah. can't wait for that. Um, <laughs> thank Walter, you, great Walter. to see you. Tag, you're in. Oh. You scared the life out of me. Uh, whether you call it Chip, Cat, Chig, Chiggy or Chasey, you know exactly what game we're talking about. Chasey? But now the schoolyard activity has been stepped up a notch or a million notches. Take a look at Ultimate Tag. tag You're in. Let's go! Oh, look out! Go! Go! go. Yes! 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 That was just awesome. This is the Ultimate Tag Arena. Unbelievable blink and you'll miss it. And it belongs to some of the most fearsome predators on Earth. She terrifies me. With only one thing on their minds. Tag! Yeah! Making the tag. White hosts of Ultimate Tag, Matt Shervo Shervington and Abby Jelmy join us live in the studio. Hey guys. Hi. Oh, Thanks for This looks so much fun. What, what did you call it as a kid? Tip? 
Tag, Tiggy, I never Chasey. Call it Chasey Wasey no. what have you called I call it Chasey. Chasey Ch- might be a WA thing. It's a weird thing. This was one Chasey thing that we discovered girl. very early on in shooting the show is that across Australia, it's called many different things. Yeah. I called it Tip growing up as a kid, but right. um, Tiggy's something as well. And we know Sherva would have been really bad yeah. at it too, let's be honest. At Chasey, it wouldn't have I been had, your strong I had suit. my moments. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Sherva, are you right if we ask our first question now? Sure. Yes. Okay. Sorry. So I didn't mean to are, the, are, are the rules the same? No. Are the rules the same in the schoolyard as what's going on on the telly now? Or basically? Oh, yeah, pretty much. I don't know if you were playing for a hundred thousand dollars though. We weren't. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I grew up in a very good area. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. So it is. It is that schoolyard game that we all knew. So just tag and you're it. Except mm. the people that are chasing you happen to be pretty much superheroes. So we've got these pro-taggers that are so athletic, it's ridiculous, and they just take on the course. Just imagine, you know how you watch a film, Jason Bourne, um, James Bond, whatever it and is. They do all that. Oh, yeah, and you go across the rooftops, you go down staircases, you go through car parks. Parkour, if you don't know what it is, it's going from A to B in the most spectacular way you possibly can. Right, look at that And Australia has some of the best parkour athletes in the world. One guy, Dominator, 1.3 million followers on Instagram, off stuff that you wouldn't lean a ladder against and climb down yourself. It's unbelievable stuff. God, there's a whole, there's a whole subculture out there. It really is. Did yeah. this come as a surprise to you to when you sort of went you know, digging and discovered this? Yeah. I like to think they're the kids at school that were jumping off things where the teacher was like, stop doing that, you'll never amount to anything. <laughs> yeah. And now they travel the world mm. with huge followings doing these amazing... Like, look at that flip. So, Eagle's actually from New York. Eagle. Mm. We know them all yeah, by, right. their, by their code names now. But some <laughs> of the flips and trips, you have to actually see it to believe it. They're unbelievable. I thought the look of Kylie trying to get into my second floor apartment was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> this is really no, was solid. Trying, I was trying to get, get out. out. Do, you know who, do you know who actually... <laughs> And that was stuff. your place. Um, do you know who had the hardest job of the whole show were the cameramen? Because yeah. Yeah. the players and the protagonists use the course in such an unorthodox way. They change direction so quickly. They flip, they move, they swing. They do everything with the course that you just wouldn't know. And the cameramen have to change and move with them. Actually, so let's it was. Do a little survey. What do you reckon, boys? You, how have you guys gone on that? Hey? Yeah? No? Yes? No? I mean, the real question is, why didn't Shervo have a go? And I yeah, just, I was going to ask that. I mean, when you're what? known as Australia's fastest man, I, he was just intimidated. I think that's so what it was. you'd be good at it. You're pretty nimble. I was intimidated by my co-host. <laughs> <laughs> you're pretty nimble, Shervo. Did you have a crack at that? Do you know what? On the rehearsal day. Between the two of us, like, we were down on the arena floor after every run, yeah. and every time we would walk out, we were both looking around <laughs> at the obstacles you, you going, I wonder go, what I could do I off that. I that. And then our executive producer would get in our ear and go, get them off, get them off the obstacles. <laughs> They're not allowed to get hurt. We can't slow this shoot down. Because so, hello to this Drysdale. Like, look what you did to her on Holy Moly, Matt Shervington. I know, so, I know. She's recovering well. She's she, great. She, She's such a sport. I hope you sent her flowers. We did. Yeah. Oh, oh, when you say that. He wouldn't. Oh, he actually oh, wouldn't. Oh, Don't oh, lie, you did. Yeah. Do you know what? In a, changing tack just a little bit. In Ultimate Tag, and you will see this, it is unbelievable, oh, the physical feats. But very few injuries. And there were only a, a couple of injuries, and so minor. It's amazing. Yeah. Can we talk hey, about the real-life people, yes, though? Yes, did it. Yes, you know. No, you didn't get off the hook. But what about the people who are, you know, getting... Yeah. Uh, chased. So the real people, do they do the chasing or get chased? So the pro taggers are chasing, they're the ones hunting you down right. and then the players who are everyday Aussies yep. and you've got bank managers, um, you've got chippies, sparkies, you've right. got elite okay. athletes, you've got junior athletes coming through as We've well. We've also got ex-Olympians and like yeah. so our usual Aussies 
some of them are even the fittest people that I've ever seen as well. So it's amazing mm. to see these people from all these walks of life that might get involved in like Gee, crossing different 17 to 50 yeah, is the age range. Yeah. So it's actually quite a spread. No, it's actually younger than that. 15, wow. I think. Gee, so many ex-Olympians floating around this network at the moment. And, <laughs> and also, look at the abs on all of them. If you ever want motivation to get fit, oh, it's wow. actually quite unnerving. This looks like a heap of fun, guys. Chasey Wasey's. Chasey Wasey's. Didn't have the same ring, ring to it. Yeah. Thank you, Abby. Thank you, Matt. Ultimate Pleasure. Tag starts this Sunday, 7 o'clock on 7 and on 7 Plus. Can't wait. Looks great. Uh, Kyle's, Kyle's. Mm -hmm. How do you think you go in Ultimate Tag? How would you do uh, that? Really, really badly. I'll have to tune in and, and watch how the, the professionals jump. do it. I've seen you leap. <laughs> Not lately. Uh, thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe or follow if you haven't already. And you can find more from the show at themorningshow.com.au and on 7+. Plus. And you can join us again weekdays right up to sunrise on Channel 7. Bye for now. Tag, you're in.